Welcome to the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. Join RJ and Dylan as they discuss each week's Seattle Kraken news and top stories from around the league. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. Um, I just, you know, let's not beat around the bush at all on this one, RJ. Let's just get right into it and talk about this week's set of games. Uh, Three games this week and, you know, no wins this week, unfortunately. First time in a little while we've had to go through that. Um, We get, you know, start things off back with that Penguins game. That that brutal 6-1 loss to the Penguins that, you know, when we went and did the post-game live, kind of a different reaction from majority of the people who were there with us versus yours and I opinion of, you know, this was kind of just a bad luck game at the beginning, three fluky goals, all going off Kraken players, and after that, you just kind of got to write the game off because it's hard to come back from a situation like that and and play well and stay in it and try to keep your head together when something like that happens. A lot of people, though, were just kind of disappointed. I think everybody was having flashbacks to... Certainly the Colorado game was brought up a decent amount Yes, uh, t- from the end of the losing streak. So with like a week's worth of perspective on that game, do you still feel the same way that it was just kind of a fluky thing? Or do you think that maybe there were some signs of regression from the Kraken there that we just didn't want to see? Well, I stand by, you know, what we said at the time with that the start was fluky. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, those three goals all off of Kraken sticks, bodies, what have you. Uh, that's just really tough. And I think uh, Grubauer even talked about it, you know, after I think it was the next game where he just said, those goals happen, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's off a body or whatever. They usually just don't happen three all in the first few minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. Just kind of had that bad luck cluster there. Um, so I stand by that as far as, you know, it just being unlucky. But I think what was more telling was just kind of the response and the way the whole game went. Yes, the Kraken put on a push afterward, uh, but they didn't get a whole lot to show for it. And really, they weren't able to put on much of a push in the third. They didn't... Um, you know, they didn't really do anything to kind of claw their way back into the game in any kind of meaningful sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking at that, uh, it may probably show some signs of what we were about to see then in the Winnipeg game, um, where it just kind of everything just died slowly, you know, as, as they get shut out. Um, but yeah, it's certainly something the team viewed differently, at least like being around and hearing the way that Hackstall was talking about it, um, where... You know, he mentioned just the effort was com- unacceptable for what we're looking at from our mm-hmm. team. Just can't happen. And how he worked them very hard in practice the very next day, you know, as a, we can't let this happen again. And I don't think that he's felt the same way about the Kraken's effort in the two games following that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I stand by the whole, the flukiness of it and how that can you know, completely throw you. Now, you could also argue, right, all that happens right away, first five minutes of the game. At some point, you should be able to get, you know, back into it, you know, even at the end of that period, right, between periods one and two, you should be able to come back out in the second period and play well, um, regardless of of what had happened. And that certainly wasn't the case, really. I mean, I guess you kick off that period with a Eberle goal, but you certainly don't finish that period strong. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, thinking about it personally, there was probably some elements of just not like, just not wanting to be like, oh no, here we go again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was, des- I was, I wouldn't say I was like desperately grasping at straws, but I was definitely putting on some rose colored glasses and try to be like, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's all right, maybe, you know, it's at least an explanation. So many of the other games that, you know, rough games that the Kraken have had, uh, haven't really had an explanation that at least was uh, an explanation, an excuse, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yeah, that was just a, a bad game. You know, we saw they they struggled containing Pittsburgh's aggressiveness from the the Pittsburgh forwards. That was an issue for the defense throughout the game. Um, you saw that they struggled with the kind of aggressiveness of the defensemen, the the Penguins defenders too. Just struggled with zone entries and and stuff like that. Uh, kind of 
similar to the Tampa Bay game. So that was again something that you know was talked about a lot on the post game live, which was you know okay, this is clearly a problem for the Kraken. You know, our team's going to start using this against us. I'll hold to the fact that not every team can play that style and get away with it. To be frankly yep. honest, I'm surprised the Penguins. It's a lot away. of talent and a lot of buy-in. That's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say I'm pretty surprised that the Penguins kind of get away with it as much as they do. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, uh, so yeah. So that was my first question to you: is I don't think that you know every team can just be like, okay, guys, we're playing Seattle, we got to you know do this. I, I just don't think it's that kind of thing. Um, but certainly, it's going to be a problem as the Kraken play those teams. What do you think the Kraken should? do different when they play teams like that where you know ahead of time okay they've got an aggressive defense they're going to try to defend their blue line keep us from entering the zone you know easily um what what kind of approach do you think the kraken should take in those kinds of situations um i think they need to well one move around a little bit more and i was asked kind of at the time during the game well you know how do you counter this they're all over them and one of the things that you can do is have players you know building up some speed before they get the puck coming out of your own zone and making these short passes to guys that already have speed built up and mm-hmm. then they can hit the line you know with some speed there back off the defenseman a little bit you know it's hard to kind of wrap up someone and really pester them and harass them uh when they're moving fast it's very easy to do when they're stationary mm-hmm. so i think that starts with having these short passes ready to go and you know kind of planned out where the guys are especially in the breakout one things i saw uh in the game was that you just have Kraken players not really moving anywhere. They just be stationary where they were. And it's easy for guys to be all over them. And there was no one else off the puck, really giving them an outlet, really moving with any kind of speed. Uh, it was easy for the Penguins to kind of just lock them down. So I think just speed off the puck is, is a good way to counter that. What do you think, Dylan? No, I agree with that. And, you know, one of the things that we saw through that game, through the Winnipeg game was a lot of, um, you know, okay, we're starting to transition and like you, the, a forward will enter the neutral zone with the puck and then for whatever reason, pass it back to a defenseman. Like, mm-hmm. like you're starting forward momentum, pausing it, push, go, taking, you know, a step back, essentially letting everybody bunch up at the blue line and then trying to make something happen when you can't have any momentum, you can't, you know, kind of get the defense back on their heels a little bit, or maybe even creep behind them ideally. Um, so I, I do think that it's it's in some ways it's a system thing, and I think in other ways it's just a mentality thing, just to kind of have that killer instinct and confidence to be like, hey, I can take this puck up through the neutral zone. Maybe I'm going to have somebody pestering me, but I trust in my ability to get through that, or I trust in my ability to get through that defenseman up there, or I trust in my ability to make this pass in the neutral zone, and I'm not going to turn it over. I think that's ultimately a lot of it is it, it comes down to being confident in your abilities, trusting in yourself and trusting in your teammates to, you know, make the play. Um, so I, I think that's ultimately what what's going to you know need to happen for the Kraken when playing teams like that. Again, shouldn't run into them too often, but certainly if you're talking about, OK, they, you know, come back, maybe make the playoffs and then all of a sudden you're facing a team like that in the playoffs. That's, you know, you, you need to have answers. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, but I think that was, that was, those were really the main couple takeaways from the Penguins game as far as what they struggled with and, and what they could work on. Um, looking then at the Winnipeg game. Now that game was, I mean, that game was just brutal to watch. Um, only three, nothing, but I felt like it could also have been, I mean, it could have gone a couple different ways actually, but uh, to me, it felt like a much worse game because you, I guess you didn't have the excuse of the three goals at the beginning being kind of fluky. Um, in this one, I think the biggest thing for me was how much in the defensive zone, A, the Kraken just struggled in general, but how much they gave up like kind of a net front presence and, and the slot, really. They just let Winnipeg converge there, which is exactly what Winnipeg wanted to do. Yes. I mean, they played really right into the way the Jets love to play. Um and the turnovers didn't help either. You know, it's tough to you know defend the slot when all of a sudden you know it's coming back the other way at you fast. Or and I think of that Susie turnover behind mm-hmm. the net where you've got a guy free in the slot because two seconds ago you had the puck and you didn't have to worry about that. Um, yeah, the defensive miscues that really looked a lot like the ones that we saw 
during that awful losing streak kind of mm-hmm. reared their ugly head again. Um, and it was just really bad to see uh, because, you know, I thought those things were, you know, kind of gone. You know, we were hoping that was all in the past. Uh, but in that Winnipeg game, yeah, just defensively, they were kind of back to their old form from when they were losing games. Uh, and offensively, you know, they were just kind of sticking to the outside and, and letting a team like Winnipeg just kind of wear them down, uh, mm-hmm. which is, again, how the Jets want to play. Yeah, a lot of, you know, potential opportunities kind of died on the vine for the Kraken in that one. Um, yeah, so one of the things that I brought up then after the Columbus game that, again, relates to this and relates to um certainly their defensive struggles and stuff, which was there are certainly times, maybe not so much in the Winnipeg game, but like in the Columbus game, and we could talk about it more when we focus on that game. The Kraken defensemen might do a good job. Let's say one of them has to follow somebody behind the net or at least below the goal line, right? Mm-hmm. So that's their their responsibility. The other defender is taking up somebody that's maybe more immediate net front, right? So they're bodied up there. A lot of times for this Kraken team, we see the opposing team manages to get a forward that can then kind of come into the slot, maybe five feet out from the goalie, five, 10 feet out from the goalie. And that person is always wide open. And we've seen so many goals throughout this season scored on the Kraken from players in that position. So to me, that kind of signals that there's an issue with, you know, the forwards back checking that's that, you know, kind of the center's responsibility to kind of guard in there, kind of play a little lower in the defensive zone. Usually you kind of same takeaway. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed in that regard is that when I look at some of those goals from where the third forward is setting up close to the net, like what you described, I look for the nearest Kraken forward back because you think, okay, that should be the center. That should be the guy who's there to cover him. And it's, that forward for the Kraken is often not the center mm-hmm. or, you know, the guy's playing center on that line, which is, you know, a little bit confusing. Um, but for a lot of goals against, it seems like the first forward back is not the center. You know, I don't know if that's a, a systems thing. I see it enough that it looks like it might be a systems thing. Um, but I don't know. It seems like there's some confusion there. I mean, one of the things that's a benefit when you have the center having that responsibility is just, you know, it's always the center. It's always this guy. It's very Mm -hmm. clear who should be on that, on that uh, third forward. But if you're kind of handing off that responsibility, if it's a different wing, you know, based on the side, it can probably generate some situations there where the forwards are a bit confused and it's hard to pick up that guy. Right. And I, you know, I noticed that too. I've been trying to kind of watch to see what exactly it is, you know, Mm -hmm. it, where the forwards are, especially the center. And basically the centers end up kind of all over the place. Like it's, it seems like the system is that the center isn't going to cover the slot there, but it doesn't seem like there's necessarily a system as to where the center is then a hundred percent of the time elsewhere and who, you know, which wingers responsible for kind of coming down and covering for it. It's just kind of like this no man's land in their defensive coverage that they're just kind of seeding to other teams, which makes no sense because it's, like a prime goal scoring position. Like it's yes. And an area that the Kraken's goalies have had difficulty stopping the puck from as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially that's, that's why it's becoming a big issue. And I guess it's really surprising because you look at this team and you look, you know, Yanni Gord, excellent two-way player. Uh, Wenberg, we know he can be a really, really good two-way player too. Like these are guys who have had defensive assignments before, uh, we know that they can handle it. We know that they're smart about it. We know that they play well back there. And for some reason, this is a problem. I think that also speaks to this, you know, it being more of a, a system problem rather than a player issue, just because these guys are good enough. You would think that they would be handling the, some of those opportunities. Yeah. And sometimes it, it makes sense to have a system like that if it fits your personnel. I mean, Vegas comes to mind where, mm-hmm. you know, you're shut down forward is mark stone who's a wing you know and kind of down the line you kind of skip at center a little bit and you have more talent on the wings that might make a little bit more sense but given the kraken's personnel it just doesn't exactly so um that was definitely an issue that you know i think needed to be talked about when it comes to this winnipeg game also kind of struggled with winnipeg's size um especially defensively which you know we talked about in the post game very odd given the Kraken have size, especially on defense. It 
it was weird that they kind of struggled with that. They lost a lot of, you know, battles or uh, certainly like kind of positional inside positions and stuff in the in their own zone. Um, that's a little bit of a question mark for me. Power play was horrible. Yeah, we can get to the power play. Yeah, I mean, zero for five. Uh, I think they what only two two shots on goal, three shots on goal throughout yeah, the entire game on the power play. Not a lot, and against a PK unit that was ranked second worst in the NHL going into the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was rough. Um, definitely a forgettable performance. But that to me is ultimately where the whole um, okay, we're we're getting ready to try to enter the Jets zone. Let's pass it backwards to a defenseman, though, just because like that happened so many times and it just kept them from getting anything established in the offensive zone on those power plays. And, you know, you need that if you're going to score on a power play, you need to possess it. You need to be cycling the puck around, getting defenders out of position, getting the goaltender moving laterally if you can, all of that stuff. So um, that was something rough to see and uh, a big contributing factor to why they lost that game. And then moving on to uh, Saturday night against Columbus, overtime loss. But I think the the big story, and it seemed like the big story for a lot of people in the postgame chat too, was the comeback and yes. getting a point out of that game. Yeah, it was very important. I mean, it's something that really we hadn't seen a whole lot from the Kraken this mm-hmm. season. I mean, after that second period where it was 4-1, to one, and, you know, things looked hopeless. I remember getting some comments on Twitter saying, like, man, it just feels like the Kraken, if they give up the first goal, they just, they don't, it's game's over. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, they just, it, once you do that, there's no coming back. They don't have it in them to do that. Um, and certainly has felt that way most of the season. And it felt that way again, uh, you know, in that last game against Columbus. And then I think we saw something truly different from them, though. I mean, a, a kind of response that we hadn't really seen uh, from them so far this season. It was just good to see that they're capable of doing that. Right. And I think part of what we saw that was different about them wasn't necessarily that, oh, they didn't quit. Because there's been plenty of games where we've said, hey, look, they lost maybe even by two or three, but it didn't look like they ever gave up on the game. Good on them. Good on the crowd, right? It's plenty of times mm-hmm. Climate Pledge Arena has been right there for them, even in those rough situations. What what really felt different to me in that third period was once you get that first goal, it felt like, okay, I think this is doable. And then you get that geeky goal, you know, 22 seconds later or whatever, and you're like, we got this. Like, the yeah. team had been playing well. They played really well. First game in a long time, they came out of the gates and looked really strong. Really the first time since the beginning of the season. Remember, this team was a team that could start off games. They just weren't getting, you know, lucky with chances and then they would slowly fall apart as the game went that's how we all started a couple months ago i know it seems like a long time everybody but they came out of the gates super strong dominate first you know it was like eight one shot difference in the first 10 minutes or something like that um yeah they didn't give up a shot on goal for 955 i think it was <laughs> almost yeah. 10 minutes into the game yeah so huge difference to the previous couple games and certainly all those games during the the longer losing streak last month and and then to to come back out in the third like that and and have momentum in a way that felt believable and inevitable like okay this was going to happen and just as i was starting to be like okay well maybe it's not going to happen cuz time's actually running out like it felt mm-hmm. so much like okay it's going to happen it's going to happen and then finally i was like well you know what it's been like 11 and a half minutes maybe yeah. maybe you got to get something going here if we're going to finish this one off vince dunn gets that done uh haha and uh <laughs> ties the game up at 4 to to you know ultimately send it to overtime had to survive a little bit of a you know last minute scare there uh, against Columbus, couldn't quite get the puck out of the zone. But to me, that was that was my big takeaway. Started off strong, which was important to see after the previous two games, and then just that that feeling of we got this, it's gonna happen. Uh, just don't really remember too many times where I felt I've, I've believed that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I mean, I was you know there at the game. I was feeling it, and I think the crowd kind of felt it too. It felt yeah, we're we're gonna do this. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is also just scoring earlier in the third. A lot of these pushes the Kraken mm-hmm. have put on have been, you know, you, you get the first goal in the series of goals 
when it's already kind of too late, you know, when you're in miracle territory, um, whereas the Kraken went and got two goals in the first basically four minutes of the period and left themselves a lot of time, you know, to go get another one, which helps. For sure. Then we have overtime. So Kraken 0 for 3 in overtime. Again, big topic of conversation in the postgame show. Uh, everybody, you know, what's wrong with them in overtime? What's wrong with them in overtime? So I guess, RJ, let's talk about what's wrong with them in overtime. Now, my first thing is to say it's kind of a small sample size. It's only three games. And it's yeah. and it's three games in a three-on-three overtime setting where the tiniest of bounces can make a difference. Somebody, you know, loses an edge one time, that makes a massive difference. Like, they are a little bit more inherently random. So for me, I don't know that I'm sounding any alarm bells at all, really, just because of the small sample size. Yeah, and you have to take that into account. I mean, it's, you know, three-on-three overtime, it certainly has the randomness to it, and three games. You know, you see longer skids than that that just kind of feel random. But... There definitely have been some mistakes in that time that you can point to. Yeah, and this one, certainly not an exception. Probably where, the most of all of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, where you could argue all three players on the ice made a mistake for the Kraken on this one. You have the awkward handoff between uh, Alexiak and Wenberg that ultimately leaves Jake Bean just kind of wide open to just skate in with the puck and have the time and space to choose his shot got johansson doing something i mean i don't even know what he's that's the one that's most confusing like i i can understand the awkward handoff between the other two but like do you have any idea what he was thinking there none none whatsoever it's also just rare i mean how often do Mm -hmm. you see a guy that close to his own goalie screening his own goalie in three on three overtime i just you know, if you kind of have to draw up a situation that leads a player into that spot in that circumstance, it just, I don't know how you do it. Um, yeah, it's just, it was so awkward too, kind of leaning down and like kind of half trying to get out of the way, realizing he was in a bad spot, but not making things any better. Um, I just, I have no explanation for it. And I think Grubauer himself was pretty shocked <laughs> yes. right after the goal. He just looks over at Johansson like, what was was that that? (laughs) yeah no and what's i guess most surprising for me was that it was johansson like he's a veteran player generally knows what he's doing you know what i mean like he's been around he's seen everything been a part of you know many different teams many different systems he's he's a smart player so for him to be the person doing that versus maybe a young guy like you know alex true or morgan geeky or something where you could ch- kind of chalk it up to okay well they're not used to this situation and whatever right um but for him i don't know that that you know kind of excuse holds um no it doesn't apply yeah so that was that was just kind of a mess is i guess the best way to put it uh certainly the most honest way to put it um but yeah, as far as things in overtime for the Kraken, I think using guys like Yanni Gord, uh, using your more kind of creative guys that work well with space and the time, that three-on-three, kind of making making an effort for some of those guys like to see, you know, McCann in some of those situations. And then even some guys like, um, you know, Donskoy, super creative yes. player, can play fast, can can kind of just come up with stuff on the fly and, and get it done. I think those are the guys you got to focus on uh, with your three-on-three packages for those kinds of things, because ultimately those are the kind of guys that can score goals. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as much as I like, you know, what maybe like a Wenberg or Johansson brings, you know, they're not really a game-breaker type of guy that, you know, is going to push you over the edge and score a goal. Um, you know, they might help you in that cycle game once you're kind of set up and just working with possession of the puck. And we saw the Kraken have some of that in the Detroit game, but mm-hmm. they just didn't have anyone who could kind of break through. And Yanni yeah. Gord looked like the only guy who even had a chance at doing that. Right. And we'll get to why Yanni Gord wasn't there in just one second. Yeah. The final <laughs> thing I'll say as far as the overtime losses, because uh, you brought up the Detroit game, is as far as shootouts go, Really, the only thing you can do is you can practice it, you know, I guess as much as you want, but you you know shouldn't dedicate too, too much time to it. No. And then uh, the other thing is, you know, just try to make sure that, you know, your video scout, your pro scouts and stuff kind of have reads on goaltenders and, and what their tendencies are in those situations and make sure the assistant coaches have that for the bench. So when you know it's going to a shootout, you can kind of 
let the you know give the guys a heads up but yeah, otherwise doing your homework helps yeah otherwise there's not too too much you can do for shootout opportunities so i just want to get this on the record real quick though have jamie alexiak shoot the shootout i yes. was watching him do breakaway practice like he's got some sneaky good hands i just want to get that where it's recorded so i can go back to it if he ever gets to shoot because i think he's gonna score if he does yes that i mean and that would just be awesome too like, yeah, it would be awesome. I mean, we've kind of seen his hands, right? All those times he'll he'll carry the puck into the offensive zone and kind of make moves towards the net. He he, he likes to drive the net and then maybe make a move there. So yeah, um, that's true. Uh, hasn't quite pulled one off yet so far this year, but he's got to do the between his legs move. I saw him do oh it. Oh my gosh. In practice. I, oh, I don't gosh. know that he'd ever have that situation to do in a game, but he pulled it off. He scored on Joey Decor doing that. So wow. I would love to see that. That is, I mean, that's amazing sounding, actually. <laughs> um, all right. So Yanni Gord out, Blackwell out, Shahan out, assistant coach Leach out, all COVID. You know, we got, we got Giordano back this week just to lose everybody else, it seems like. Yeah, it's. It's been rough, and it was kind of right before the Columbus game that it mm-hmm. felt like things were trending that way again. I mean, we got an email you know, the morning of the game saying, you know, out of an abundance of caution, we're going to do all today's media availabilities via Zoom. They didn't say that any players were on COVID protocol, but mm-hmm. you kind of could read between the lines and, and know what was going to happen. And yeah, sure enough, as morning skate goes, oh, look, there's a bunch of guys missing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, a lot of them end up on COVID protocol. Yeah, and so, again, Kraken, no stranger to this situation. I don't really think any NHL team is at this point. Everybody's had to go through, you know, some level of it. Um, it, it does seem to be hanging around the Kraken a little bit longer than maybe for some other teams, uh, affecting more guys. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I was trying to think of, like, a question to ask about it or a way of talking about it, but, like, do you think COVID is a bigger issue for the Kraken than it is for other teams? And if so, do you think it's because they're not doing something right? Like it's kind of hard or is it just kind of random and it's just happening to them a little bit more? Maybe I would lean toward the side of randomness and you're right. I think there's not really any other question you can ask. It's, Mm -hmm. it's difficult to deal with. I mean, you know, being there for all the media stuff, I see, you know, the protocols and I mean, all the media and everything where we're vaccinated. I think a lot of us have our boosters, you know, it's one of those and, you know, they're pretty safe about things. We're all wearing masks all the time. You know, they're generally pretty good about that. And as far as I know, you know, on the media side of it, no one, you know, has had it at all recently. I don't think that's where any of it's come from. Um, so that's just kind of what I see on a day to day. Uh, so I don't think it's that, um, I don't know. It's tough because with COVID, all it takes is one case and it can just go around mm-hmm. um, and and even kind of be a little bit delayed, you know, like we saw and, you know, when it gets to people. So yeah, mm-hmm. as far as when they start experiencing symptoms and then when you can pull them off and get them away from everyone. So it's kind of difficult to answer. Um, but I, I guess I'd lean more toward the just randomness side, but it has hit the Kraken pretty hard. I think also the timing of it has been tough, you know, like yeah. especially before opening night and, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, on road trips and then, you know, hitting your captain. Cause it's kind of random as far as which players get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and just key players, Yanni Gord. I mean, they, you've had some really good players out. Right. And, you know, Blackwell and Shahan were playing really well in the bottom six mm-hmm. too. coming, kind of, you know, going into that, um, really unfortunate and yeah you know when like it attacking hits... one position group then like the forwards <laughs> know. you know what i mean you could probably afford a little bit on defense and yet <laughs> yeah no it's yeah. like hey centers you're up that's <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> just the way it was it seems like so um it is it is an unfortunate situation again i think i'm with you i think i lean towards the randomness thing uh more so than anything i mean it is something going around all over the place new variants constantly popping up it seems like um and you know again other teams are dealing with it too it's not like the kraken or the exception to the rule here um but looking kind of ahead to the olympics because i think you know COVID is still the number one question everyone has as far as the nhl participating in the olympics which players now will be participating in the Olympics and, you know, maybe some players choosing not to, I mean, Robin Leonard obviously already said he would not be uh, just because, you know, basically if you're at the Olympics and you test positive, you're under China's rules as far as, you know, 
what you have to do. And I believe it's a five week quarantine situation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Robin Leonard was like, look, I talked about it with, you know, my people and we decided for my mental health, it's going to be best if I don't go because the threat of that happening and then me being stuck in Beijing for five weeks is not worth it. Basically, it's not worth it for him, for his mental health. I a thousand percent understand where he's coming from. Oh, for sure. I, I, I am on board with that. And really, since he brought it up, that's been a question that I think a lot of NHL players are kind of grappling with as you have, uh, you know, Omicron going around now as teams are still, you know, fairly regularly getting guys to go on new COVID protocols, whether it's because of close contacts or because they're contracting it, right? Um, I, I think it's becoming slightly, you know, it's a bigger and bigger issue, more and more teams... Uh, the NHL, obviously, as a whole, and then I think individually players are really starting to ask themselves, how much is the Olympics worth it to me to potentially, you know, have to go through all that personally, how that will affect my NHL team, right? Obviously, if you're stuck in China for five weeks, you know, the NHL is going to get back to doing things and you're not going to be there. Uh, I think it's a lot of questions. So let's just kind of answer them. I, I guess we should start with the biggest one, which is at this point in time, do you think the NHL is still committed to going to the Olympics? Well, I think, you know, the NHL, if you look at it from the league's perspective, from Bettman's perspective, it's not something they really wanted to do in the first mm -hmm. place. Yeah. So I, I think it's always been a situation of, you know, can we get away with not going? How much backlash will there be from the players? And I think there might kind of be this internal hope, you know, within some circles of the league that, you know, hopefully, I don't know, maybe the players will get scared off by this quarantine stuff mm -hmm. and we'll have enough of them not want to go and then we don't have to go. And mm -hmm. which is kind of what we wanted to do all along. Because, you know, as has been well documented, the push for NHL players to play in the Olympics has been driven by the players. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. something that the players really, really wanted. And if it's not something that they want as strongly, you know, given some of the other things they'd have to deal with, well, then it becomes a situation where the league probably has a lot of incentive to back out. Yeah, we talked about this kind of before the season started that, yes, the NHL kind of made it, you know, pretty clear that they didn't want to have to do it, but they were going to anyway, right, for for the players' yeah. sake and for, um, you know, everybody's sake, the TV partners, all that stuff, right? Um. So yes, I agree. Any chance they get to to get out of it, I think they're going to take. Uh, one of the other questions, I guess, as far as that goes is, you know, we've seen already some teams have to push back games and stuff because of COVID. Now, they didn't last too long, those stretches, as far as having to put off games and stuff. So it wasn't quite enough where it was going to be like, oh, well, you know, Ottawa, we had to push back so many of their games that, you know, we just, they're going to have to play through that Olympic break. So I guess we just can't go to the Olympics, guys, which I think, again, they were maybe hoping for in a weird right. way, uh, was, was they were hoping that that would happen to, you know, a handful of teams and it would mean, okay, look... You know, we, we left that as kind of also a buffer period where if we needed to fill in games, we could fill in games. I don't know that it quite got to that point where they're going to need to do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, as look and as far as we know, the NHL is still going. Like, right. I mean, yeah, that is any... as far as today is concerned. Yeah, the plan is that they are going. So, yeah, that should be mentioned loud and clear. Right. Uh, but I do but, think that the yeah. more we hear about it the more that the situation is going on in the NHL as far as it being, you know, a regular thing, guys seeing that it's a regular thing, that it can happen to anyone at any time, you know, kind of no matter how careful you are, it, it can still happen. Uh, I think certainly that and maybe the more they learn about the situation of actually going over there and what it could all mean, I, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear a couple other players make the decision not to go uh, just because of that. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. And I want to give credit to Robin Leonard really quick for kind of coming out in advance of this, you mm -hmm. know, well in advance and, um, you know, kind of being a leader and being like, look, this is what I've chosen to do, but these are things that I had to consider and things that other players are going to have to consider. I think, you know, having him do that when he did has given a lot of other players kind of more time and more opportunity to really consider, okay, do I want to do this? what is this going to mean if I do get COVID and really, you know, even if they go and want to go at least be aware of exactly what they're getting themselves into. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that 
just continues with the theme of Robin Leonard kind of being a, a leader on a lot of these issues, especially pertaining to mental health um, and, you know, kind of showing other players, okay, this is something that you're going to, you know, might have to worry about. So I just want to give credit to him right uh, for that. Yeah. thousand percent. He has proven, I mean, he's certainly the most vocal of the players as far as sticking up for players at, at this mm-hmm. point. Um, you would, you know, assume he's almost, uh, like a high up official at the PA or something like he's, he's kind of, right. he does their job for <laughs> them in a lot of ways. Association. Yeah. He really is. He kind of, you know, cuts through the BS a lot of the times in those situations and just says, is like, yeah, no, this is how it is everybody. And it's a problem. We need to fix it. And, um, it is hard to be the person who does that. And yes, he deserves a lot of credit for doing it when he does it. Uh, last question as it relates to this is we'll kind of go into the next bit about talking about the Olympics, which is more Kraken specific. Do you think, just given the amount of COVID issues that the Kraken have dealt with, do you think anybody in the Kraken would be, obviously, I'm sure the the team itself would be like, would love if the players didn't go just because they don't want to potentially risk losing anybody for an extended period of time. But do you think the fact that the Kraken, so many players have had it and have had to go through it here in, you know, better circumstances where you could still be around your family potentially and all that kind of stuff, do you think anybody... you know, there might be some sentiment amongst Kraken players that, hey, I, I'm not sure I want to, you know, go. Right. I think uh, they would certainly have, you know, pretty good information as far as at least what that entails quarantining here, um, and maybe even uh, a little bit more insight from Mark Giordano, their captain, mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, had to stay in Tampa for a while after that, so he couldn't be with the team. And you know, it's it's not China, but it's you know, not home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's another experience that I think Kraken players are, are going to have heard a lot about. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to, you know, impact their decision a little bit. Um, you know, I, it's hard to know what exactly they yeah. think of what they've heard. You know, we only hear little bits, you know, on in the media basically about how the COVID, you know, like, oh, I didn't have it too bad or yeah, it was pretty rough. And, you know, you don't get into the details of kind of what quarantine was like too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly the players I'm sure have gotten into the details of it kind of with each other. Yeah, I would, I would expect conversations are being had. Um, but speaking of that, transitioning to our next topic, which is, you know, looking ahead to the Olympics, what, what Kraken players we think could be going. So, um, you know, it's a question that pops up from time to time on Twitter for us or on, uh, you know, the post game lives and stuff. Uh, we talked about it, you know, earlier in the season, you wrote that great article for the website about it. Uh, but we thought, you know, now kind of seems like a good time to revisit it. We're, you know, getting closer to the end of the year, getting closer to the Olympics, uh, certain, certainly getting closer to whatever, you know, deadline the NHL has to co- really commit to it or not. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about who we think is going to be, you know, joining Olympic teams. Um, do you want to kind of run down you know, the, the, the guarantees, so to speak first, and we can talk about them. I mean, that's kind of the way I, I structured this article that I wrote back in September. So it was kind of even before yeah. training camp had started, just looking at the, you know, their past uh, performance, who I thought might be in play. And I tried to include everyone who I thought really kind of had even an outside chance of making their team's roster. Um, so we'll kind of just go through those guys and I put them in order of, of likelihood. So I guess, the first uh, the first shoe in here uh, is Philip Grubauer for Team Germany. I know he's had a rough season this year, um, mm-hmm. but realistically, he was already, I think, named the German team. He was one of those like yeah. first players named. So he's on the team. Nothing that he could, could do playing this season was going to keep him off of the team. Um, he's the best German-born goalie ever. So, uh, you know, they're going to rely on him quite a bit. Uh, given that you know they're they're going to have some tough teams in their group, uh, and they're going to need him to make a lot of saves. Okay, before you move on, should Kraken fans be worried about that? About Germany leaning on him already? He's playing more than I think most of us thought he would, or maybe wanted him to, because Drieger's been injured a lot. Do you think that's something that Kraken fans should be worried about? It, which is he's not going to be getting a break over the Olympic, you know, break because he's going to be there and and have to you know play basically every minute for that team. That's a good question, and I think they should. Um, it's not ideal. I mean, you're already having to lean on Grubauer as the Kraken, you know, heavier than you would like, mm-hmm. given Drieger's injuries. And yeah, he's going to go right back at it and play some more games. I expect him to play every game 
for Germany that they can get him in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think there's going to be much of a goaltending competition there. You know, maybe you get like, actually, I don't even know if Grice is going to make the team. Maybe you get whichever other goalie uh, in there for a game, but uh, they're going to be leaning heavily on him. And you know, it's going to matter to him a lot, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to be very motivated to represent his country and to do well. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know that it's going to have the best impact for the Kraken. I guess if he continues to play as poorly as he has been, maybe you just hope that it it's some kind of shakeup that you yeah. know maybe having a different team in front of him just lets him see things a little differently, a little clearer, and he kind of comes back better or maybe with some confidence if he does well. But I certainly don't like just how much hockey Philip Grubauer is going to have to play this season, it looks like. Exactly. I, I was going to say maybe if um, you know Drieger is, is truly healthy, and and ready to go maybe then you know kind of post olympics you can kind of ride drieger for a little while and try to rest grubauer if you're the kraken but uh yes that's something that you know as you were saying all of it initially i was like oh wait a second like grubauer's already having to play a lot of hockey now not gonna get that break that could be a problem so sorry uh, sorry for interrupting i just thought that was something we should talk no that's a very good question and certainly very relevant for the kraken yeah um, so the next and, and kind of the last, uh, you know, sure thing as far as making the national team is, uh, Alex true from Denmark, who just played his first game for the Kraken, uh, against Columbus, uh, on Saturday. So, um, yeah, Alex true, he played for Denmark in their qualifying, uh, qualifying round games. Cause they had to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, kind of went down to the wire. It went down to the very last game. Mm-hmm. They ended up winning, so they Denmark will be in the Olympic men's hockey tournament. Um, so yeah, he only kind of played a depth role on the national team, but you know, as one of only a handful uh, of actual NHLers, you know, who are Danish and could make the team, I, I think he's pretty much a lock. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's a lock to make the team. It will be interesting to see what kind of role he takes on the team. Obviously, Alex True, we're not talking about a superstar uh, caliber guy here. It's always interesting with those kind of qualifier teams, um, how they use kind of depth NHL players on their international teams, because, you know, it is it's international competition. The hockey is a little bit different, right? Ranks a little different, all that stuff. So sometimes you'll use um, those depth guys still in depth roles, even though they are NHLers and maybe some of the guys you've got ahead of them in a lineup aren't just for right. those reasons. And, you know, experience matters and, you know, mm-hmm. time with the national team true is a younger guy. Um, yeah. and also you're playing against, I think they were playing against Slovenia, South Korea, and Norway in their group. So a little different level of competition. For sure. For sure. Um, so Anyway, those that's the end of the sure things. Now we get into guys who I kind of mentioned before the season, their play this year would uh, impact their chances of whether they were going to the Olympics or not. Um, and the Kraken had a few guys in that category. Mm-hmm. And I figured the most likely of them to start the season to make the national team uh, was Jonas Donskoy for Finland. And this is an interesting case because... You know, his play this season was going to kind of decide whether he made the team or not. And how about his play this season? Um, We've certainly talked about it a lot. He doesn't have a goal yet, Dylan, does he? No, he really doesn't. Came unbelievably close. Just, you know, in that most recent game uh, for against Columbus, I should say. Thought it was his goal. Super excited for him. Got, oh my gosh, I was just so happy. Bounced off Schwartz. It's Schwartz's goal. But yes, I mean, that brings up the big question, which is, yeah, he was probably, you know, more so on the bubble. And it's hard to say what they'll do now because, uh, and you and I kind of talked about this, you know, off air, so to speak. Uh, If they've been watching him, I think they should still take him because he's still playing really, really well. He's creating offense. He's driving possessions. He's back checking. Well, he's doing everything that you could ever want a player to do. Um, So if, if, you know, the Finnish scouts and coaching staff and stuff are, are scouting him. I think there's still a fairly decent chance that he can make it as, you know, a depth player on their team. If they're going to kind of, you know, look at everybody and kind of, you know, just kind of look at stats first to kind of you know you know weed some guys out it is possible that he gets overlooked because of that because the goals aren't there because the the counting stats just aren't quite there for him yeah agreed and watching him 
you know, every game, you see the things that he brings and he's still the same player kind of as he always was. He, he's come mm-hmm. as advertised. He's just been incredibly unlucky from a goal scoring <laughs> standpoint. Um, but I do think that he's got a better chance to make the team than not. I think probably, you know, the Finnish, you know, scouts and everybody, they're probably familiar with him given that, you know, Donskoy is no stranger to representing his country mm-hmm. in the past. You know, he's, uh, played for Finland in two World Junior Championships and a World Championship. You know, he's been on the national team before. They should know kind of him and what he does. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at least he's getting assists. So, the you know, as far as the counting stats for points, you know, are still okay. But uh, I, I certainly think Team Finland could use what Donskoy brings. Yeah, and I guess the last thing that I think probably would be the thing that pushes him over the edge is how well he is on special teams. Like, you can yeah. run him out there on a power play or the PK and you know, know that it's going to be okay. And yep. and he's played significant time with the Kraken for both on the power play and the PK. Exactly. And kind of looking at, you know, the group of players that he's going to be in the mix with as far as being more so on the bubble, I think that could easily be a thing that pushes him over the edge ahead of some of these other guys that gets him on the team. Yep. No, he definitely brings value uh, in that respect. So moving on uh, to, I guess, the next most likely, and it's a trio of Swedes. Uh, on the Kraken, you know, all vying for spots on Team Sweden. Uh, and I'll start with the guy who I think is most likely uh, to earn that spot, and that's Adam Larson. Uh, I'm going to let you, I'm going to hand the floor to you here to talk about Adam Larson and why he should be on Team Sweden. Right. I mean, I think we can all agree that he has been the most consistent Kraken defender, certainly in their, you know, defensive zone. Um, he's he's really been their stud back there. He's, he's done everything you could hope for. Uh, we're starting to see more recently him get a little bit more active in the offensive zone and, and kind of flashing, you know, that side of his game. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it's, it's tough. The Swedish teams always have a lot of depth at the, at defense, right? Like it's, that is something they are very, very much known for. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's going to be tough for him to make the team. He's, you know, represented the team several times in the past at international tournaments, but never uh, the Olympics. So I think that kind of may be working against him too. Just, you know, if if the coaching staff and, and the, you know, uh, front office kind of putting things together wants actual Olympic experience, that could be something that's a knock on him. Um But I think, you know, again, it's kind of one of those looking at guys that he'd be going up against as far as bubble guys. I think he's got the edge on some of these other guys. And and I think, I mean, let's put it this way. Do you think, who would you rather have if you're Team Sweden right now? Him or like Oliver Ekman Larson? I'd rather have Larson. I'd rather have him. Yeah, Adam Larson. I guess uh, yeah, Adam, I'd rather have Adam yeah. Larson than Oliver Ekman Larson. That's on yeah. me, right? Like, I'd rather have him, uh, Matthias Ekholm, right? Like, I think I'd, I think the t- the kind of more so two way ability close, from yeah. Larson uh, there, Rasmus Anderson. Again, I think Larson over yep. some of these guys. So, I I think he can get the the nod on them. Maybe he's not necessarily in a starting position. Maybe he's mm-hmm. a bench player for Team Sweden. But yes, I think. I think he's proven enough with the Kraken to to be worthy of that spot and and you know finally get that Olympic uh, dream of his. Yeah, I agree. I think he's done everything that you could really ask of him, you know, to do to make his case. It's just going to be a matter of the competition. I think before the season, I marked the two that he might be competing with would be Hampus Lindholm and Eric Carlson. Uh, you know, crazy to think Eric Carlson. You know, they're on a bubble spot, but mm-hmm. you know that's where we're at right now. Um, and uh, and personally, I'd take Adam Larson over over those two, given what he's done. For sure, for sure. So uh, who else do we have for Team Sweden? Yes, yeah, so the next Swede uh, is Alex Wenberg. Uh, so he's had some mixed results with the uh, with yeah. the crack in this season. Um, he he's definitely someone who would have to impress, or you mm-hmm. know, would have had to impress so far to. Uh, to show that he belongs on the team. Sweden's also got some very good forwards. Um, I mean, the idea was basically that, you know, this season going into it, Ron Francis said he wanted Alex Wenberg to play in the top six. Mm -hmm. Historically, he hasn't been a top six player, but maybe if he played in the top six and kind of performed well and showed that he could do that, that he might be a fit for team Sweden. 
I, I mean, I guess this is almost a referendum here on how the uh, how the Wenberg experiment has gone in the top six, really. But, uh, you know, what have you seen from him and is it enough to make Team Sweden? Yeah, I, obviously his pass first nature is something we are all very, very familiar <laughs> with now. Um, and, you know, I talked about earlier, right? He was someone that was known kind of for two-way play, but we maybe haven't quite seen that defensive acumen that we were hoping for when they signed him. I've got questions about him and, and looking at, you know, kind of the other guys he's going to be competing with for Team Sweden, particularly at center, I don't think he makes the Swedish Olympic team. Because I also yeah, I, think if you're taking him, you're taking him to play center. You're not going to take him and move him to wing. No, I mean, you'd rather just grab a winger for, you know, whatever you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think you're taking him as a center if you are. And I just think there's too many other centers, you know, for him to compete with there. I I, I don't see it happening. And, and he really, I think that's one where the counting stats would really have to be something yes. that knocks your socks off and be like, oh, wow, look at look at what he's done this season. Yeah. And I just don't think it's there. No, it's really not there for him. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately for, I think, everybody involved, but I just think that's uh, that's the the situation. And that's the nature of these Olympic teams, right? You know, for these major countries, you're competing with a lot of very good players. This isn't <laughs> like making an NHL roster. This is kind of like making an all-star team, you know. Mm-hmm. It's no knock on you if you're not ultimately selected. A lot of very good players are left off these teams. Right. Know, especially as we'll, we'll see a little bit later talking about Team Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, just being in the conversation it means you're, you know, a good player for a, a team like Team Sweden. Yes. So, now the final Swede that I highlighted at the start of the season and you talk about being in the conversation, I think this might be a guy who's probably played his way out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's Kelly Yarncroke. Yeah. You know, and and the whole thinking with that was, you know, if you want someone who's a, has a little more versatility, you can play all three offensive positions um and will chip in and score for you, you know, occasionally. He's kind of a well-rounded guy like that, that maybe they would consider Yarn Croak as kind of a depth player to provide some depth scoring. But uh, certainly this season, that scoring hasn't been there. Uh, it's been tough with him, you know, landing on COVID protocol. And, you know, it's just been a tough season for him. Uh, and it looks like I don't think there's any chance he makes Team Sweden. No, again, it's it's such a deep team to begin with. You, you have to, if you're going to be one of those bubble guys and make the team, you really got to be playing very very well you know up to the olympics essentially to to get yourself on there and yeah i think you know again as you said kind of for reasons not necessarily all of his own making uh that just hasn't been the case so far this season yep so moving on to the last one that i mentioned and this was probably the longest shot i thought there was and not necessarily because he wasn't (laughs) a good player but uh, when you're talking about Team Canada, mm-hmm. man, it's a competitive team. And uh, <laughs> Yanni Gord, we mm-hmm. figured that you know he'd have a chance to maybe be a number one center with the Kraken this season. Uh, that he might come in and you know even potentially be their leading scorer if he came back early enough from the shoulder injury. Uh, he came back early, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. He's kind of settled into this, you know middle six kind of spot more shut down line kind of guy like what we knew with him from tampa um and i don't know is that going to be enough to make team canada do you think no just because there's other guys that play like that for team canada already essentially yeah you know what i mean as as far as those two-way centers bottom six center guys you're looking at you know ryan o'reilly patrice bergeron sean couturier you're gonna take those guys over yanni gord and so yeah that's just the way it is Exactly. Not a knock on Gord, but it's it's just that simple. Canada has got an embarrassment of riches to choose from. And, you know, you got to factor in Tom Wilson's getting a winger spot, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> got to make sure everybody stays safe over there, you know. Yep. So uh, that about does it for, for the players that I had listed going into the season. Any, any kind of wild card guys that you think have played their way into contention for the national team uh, with the Kraken this season? I don't know. It's hard because I, I, you know, the guys that have been playing well that I would, you know, my first gut reaction were, was like for McCann. But again, you're mm-hmm. talking Team Canada. Like you have to be playing so out of your mind. You got to beat out maybe a Matt Barzell <laughs> or a John Tavares, you know, to get in that spot. Exactly. And and McCann's playing really well, but he's not playing that well. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, uh, it's 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 really tough. Um, yeah, I, I think that about. Uh, 
yeah. covers it yeah. for Kraken players going to the Olympics. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we'll, we'll keep our eye on everything as things develop. Um, will be exciting to see, you know, what, what happens, right? If the NHL still is going to go all that stuff, the rosters, obviously, uh, it's going to be fun to watch all the Kraken players play over there. The ones that do go, assuming they go, uh, I think that's going to yeah. be a lot of fun to just kind of see them in a different setting. Uh, after everything, I, I just think it'll be kind of fun and refreshing and it, a little something different. We know that's what the Olympics are a lot of the time, right? It's 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 just a kind of a nice reprieve mid-season uh, to see something a little bit different, but still enjoy hockey. And so that's, that's what I always appreciate about it. Um, kind of real quick before we you know close out the podcast and stuff, just want to highlight uh, some stuff. Obviously, it's the holiday season. It's the season of giving. And uh, just wanted to kind of give uh, thanks to uh, you know kind of both of our parents, uh, mm-hmm. our sets of parents. Uh, start with uh, your family who gave us these awesome, and I know for those of you listening, I'm going to do my best to describe these on the audio version of the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, obviously you're kind of seeing what we're showing. Uh, it's a framed canvas print of us at the first game in Kraken history, first you know regular season game uh, in Vegas there, along with uh, our ticket stubs from from that Vegas game and a Kraken logo and the ECH logo, just to kind of uh, commemorate that occasion. And uh, it was a very, very thoughtful gift. I was very surprised when I received it. Very, very thankful to both of your parents. So I want to say thanks once again to them for that because it's, you know, it is. You and I have been to a lot of sporting events, a lot of memorable things, uh, and that is definitely you know one of them for us that we're going to remember for a really, really long time. And it's uh, really nice to have this to you know kind of look back on it uh, and uh, all that. Absolutely. I mean, it's just great to be able to kind of look over there and and remember that memory. Uh, it's it's just great. And thank you, mom and dad. I really appreciate it. It was a surprise when I got it. Just mm-hmm. got it in the mail, and uh, it was really cool to see. For sure. And then um, from from that wonderful gesture from your parents to the both of us to a wonderful gesture from my mom to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I wasn't involved in this. Uh, she crocheted you this awesome Kraken stocking that you're showing off here. Uh, yeah, look at that. Yeah, got the skate with the blade, the laces, and then obviously the, you know, the, the, the actual stocking sock from the Kraken there. Uh, you know, my mom has made these for us in family for years. Uh, always had our favorite teams done. I have my Penguins one still, but I don't have one of these awesome Kraken ones like you have. Yeah, and she got the colors to match perfectly. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you were telling me about you know going out and trying to find the right color yep. match. I mean, it just goes great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously we know you're my mom's favorite. <laughs> Get that out of the way. But uh, you're a little less trouble not living in the house, you know. Yeah, probably has something to over do the with years. It. You a, know, a lot, a lot of it probably. Um, so yeah, that that one's also pretty cool. And uh, you know, we've been thinking about because she's she you know she likes to make these. So we've been thinking about obviously we just reached three thousand followers on Twitter. Maybe making that part of a giveaway or something. So if anybody's interested in one of those. You know, reach out to us. Let us know on Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment about it, because um, uh, that's definitely something we could, you know, get done probably. Yeah. You too can have a crack in stocking before I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> get one before Dylan. Once Dylan gets them, you won't want one anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The cool factor goes out the window. So. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us for another one of these. Um, another great week of uh, Kraken Hockey to look forward to. Uh, obviously, this Tuesday, this upcoming Tuesday, against San Jose, that game, if you are a member of the Patreon, you could expect to find the link to the live commentary video that we're going to be doing for that, so that you can come join us with. If you're not already a member of the Patreon, Go check that out. You know, you can links to it kind of everywhere for us. Uh, and uh, you can join with us uh, before that Tuesday game so you two can you know, watch the game with us. And uh, yeah. we had a lot of fun on that test one we did in that Tampa Bay game. I thought it went really well. Yeah, that was a great time. Yeah, so that should be a lot of fun. And then uh, the next day, Anaheim, 
chance for a revenge game there for us. I'll be at that game uh, down here in Anaheim. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. I know there's a couple people who've been, you know, in the post games also going. If you're going, reach out to me. We can, you know, meet up or something. Come say hi. And then uh, at the end of next week, Edmonton again. That's going to be a lot That'll of fun. It'll be a fun rematch. Oh yeah. And and you know we've been we said it last time if if there's going to be a big mascot reveal that kind of is the one that makes the most sense. You get like a yep. a solid week of lead up of you know not having the team in the building so to speak to get ready for it. So that's that's really why I'm most excited for it. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know I'll be keeping an eye out there. Yeah. So that's uh that's what's on the docket for the next week. Oh, and then Toronto on the 19th as well next Sunday. So uh, that one should also be interesting. See, see yeah. that media storm. I can't wait to see how many media members are in the building for that one, RJ. You get to tell oh, me. Oh, yeah. It's going to be crowded up in the press bridge. For sure. All right. So that's going to do it, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, we will see you all next time. Bye.